Right, I was going to start this morning, so I just pray for her. Father, thank you for the preparation that Olive's done. Thank you for the prophetic word that's inside her, I pray, that she'll be able to share all your heart and that what she says will have an impact in the lives who are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. So I think the biggest challenge I'm going to have today is just to remember to look at the camera and not other people in the room. So if my eyes deviate and I look a bit weird, you'll know why. <laughs> so great. So I don't know about you, but one of the things that um, I've been really trying to sharpen and grow in over the last little while is about hearing and responding to the Holy Spirit and his promptings. And one of the things I've been finding out is that actually, as we grow and learn to walk in the Spirit, it can actually be really easy to hear what God is saying. And you probably think, yeah, of course it is, Olive. But for me, that's by revelation. Um, I think sometimes in the past I've, I've missed it because I thought, well, it's going to be harder to get than that. Now, don't get me wrong, because there is time in preparation. There's time needed in the waiting and in the listening and in the preparation of our heart. But what's really struck me over this time is how sometimes God has just really downloaded something to me really, really quickly. And um, I just was going to share with you a little picture that I had. One of the things I've done a lot of during this lockdown, as I expect lots of you have as well, is going out for walks, which I really enjoy doing anyway. And I find that God often speaks to me through things that I see. And I was sat by the river one time, and I was watching this heron. And if you've ever watched a heron, you'll know that they stand really still, what seems like forever. <laughs> Maybe they walk very, very gently, very gingerly, trying not to disturb the water, because what they're doing is watching for some food watching for some fish and I was watching this heron and it was there for a long time and then suddenly this very still gentle slow bird burst onto the scene with flight swept into the river grabbed this fish and flew off and it was and it's just really interesting so at the time God was speaking to me one message but as I've been preparing for this I felt God say that's what it's like with walking with my spirit that you spend that time quietly waiting, listening, with your heart being prepared before God. But when he's ready, he gives you that word, and it's like that sudden thing, and suddenly you know exactly what it is you've got to do, or what exactly it is that you've got to say, or what exactly it is that he's asking of you. So one of the things that was interesting about um, preparing for today was that Mark had asked us if we would do this session some time ago, um, and then on Monday, he, he asked us for a title, and it's quite interesting when you work together with, with Roger, so I think we were hoping to be a smoothness entity like Mike and Flick were and have one preach between the two of us. But he had some things, I had some things, and this being asked for a title really sort of put it in the, in, in the scene and we couldn't get one between us. Um, and I went to the loo and then suddenly, whoo, I had what the Spirit was saying for me to do. And I just felt like what I needed to do today was not so much be part of the same preach that Roger's going to do, but I needed to firstly stir up the prophetic gift that, that, that is inside of me and, and ask God for what is the prophetic word for, for us as a church right now, but also to share some testimony. So that's what I'm going to do in my little slot, and I've just suddenly noticed the clock, so I don't know how long I've talked already, but I'm going to start from now. <laughs> um, so that's what I'm going to do. And there are two things that I feel that the Holy Spirit has asked me to really highlight for us today, and I'm going to give credit where credit is due for where, where they came from. So the first thing is this, this phrase, it's time to realign. And I credit Joyce with that, and I'm sorry, Joyce, if I slightly misquoted you, but there was a time in the prayer Zoom back in May where Joyce was praying along this line that it is time for us to realign. And I don't know about you, but when the Spirit sparks something inside of you, you take it away, don't you? You meditate on it, and you start to ask God, God, what does that mean for me? And so that's one of the things that I've been doing over this season, saying, God, what does that mean? And I'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. 
And the other thing that I, I want to talk about a little bit this morning is a multitude of small obediences. And this phrase goes back a long way for us, um, Roger and myself, and neither of us could agree, but it, I'm crediting it to Ian. And we're not sure if it's Ian Gibson, a friend of ours, or Ian, Ian Rawley, who some of you may know. But there was something that was said many, many, many years ago about a multitude of small obediences. And that's been something that God has been putting on my heart to do. And I'm going to share a little bit of a testimony about one of my obediences over this season. So let's think first about this time to realign. And I don't know about you, but when I saw that, um, what I saw was, I guess, like a spirit level, you know? So I had like a piece of string that was out flat like this. And then I imagined my life as a piece of string that was a bit like, you know, the wave, sound wave or a wave of some kind. Where I imagined that some things were underneath and God was saying, you need to do more of that. Some things maybe were right and God was saying, yeah, that's good, keep doing that. Some things maybe God was saying, well, you've been doing a lot of that, but now it's time for that to not be such a focus. Or maybe you can put attention there, and I don't want you to put attention there. Or maybe your heart's been in that thing, and I don't want that now. And I imagine God saying, God pulling it so that eventually my life, the line of my life, instead of being these ups and downs, would actually be in line with his. And I challenge us this morning, but that's what God is asking of us. That he's saying to us, how does your life align with what he is asking of you right now? And it may look different in this season that's going forward to it has looked in the past. And we shouldn't be afraid if that's the case. But let's just be confident to align ourselves with, 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 with what God is asking of us. Um, we know, don't we, because Mark's been preaching on it, that um, the prophetic work that came to us as church back in February was about, not, about going back to the works of first love. And that's something that I've been thinking a lot about. I was also really struck um, in the Passion Translation of James 2.17, which says, faith that doesn't involve action is phony, fruitless, dead. And that's kind of like, you know how sometimes when you read something in a different version, it really hits you between the face. And I thought, wow, yeah, I don't want my faith to be phony. I don't want my faith to be useless and fruitless. I want it to be full of, full of life. So God, what do you want me to do for realigning? And I felt for me, one of the big things about this was about consecration, about consecrating my life to him. Um, and I, right back at the beginning of lockdown, I felt that um, verse that God spoke to Joshua as the people of Israel were going to go into the land where he said to them, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow I will do great wonders. And I have this sense that the Spirit of God is doing something at this time that means we need to be consecrating ourselves, that we need to be ready for what he's going to be doing. And I don't know if you remember, but um, the Levites, who were the people that were chosen, they didn't have an inheritance in the land, so they weren't given a portion of land like all the other tribes were. But God said to them is that he was going to be their inheritance, he was going to be their portion. And I was reminded that that was something that God spoke to me about some time ago when I was grappling with some things, that he said to me, I'm your portion, don't look for a, a, a physical thing, look for me. And for me, a big part of my service to God is about ministering to him. It's about ministering to him. And, and I've just been quickened by that again at this season, that that's, that's kind of what God is asking of me to do, that I need to be ready, that I need to be consecrated, um, that I want to be ready. And, you know, the priests and the, the Levites, during the times of the kings where, who moved away from God and stopped serving God, many of those priests also turned back on God. And there was a time in the reign of King Hezekiah where King Hezekiah wanted to restore worship and worship in the temple. And it says that it was found that many of the priests weren't consecrated. They weren't ready because they had let their hearts be drawn astray like the kings had. 
but that the, some of the Levites had been better than they. They had kept themselves pure. They had kept themselves holy. They had kept themselves consecrated. And so they were able to be used in the service of seeing the sacrifices and things um, done there. And I'm just struck that this is a season where God is saying, are you keeping yourself prepared? Are you keeping yourself ready? Are you keeping yourself consecrated for what God wants to do? There's something coming. We don't know what it's going to look like, but we need to be ready. We need to be ready. We need to align ourselves to what God is saying now. Keep ourselves consecrated and set apart for the purpose that he's got for us in these days. So my first challenge for you this morning is, are you willing to let God realign your life? What is he saying to you? It won't be the same as he said to me, but it will be that element of consecration. What does that look like for you? What does it look like for you to keep your life consecrated to God, ready for his service? So that when he's saying, I need someone to do this, he will look at you and he'll say, yeah, you're ready. You're ready for action. You're ready for action. So that's the first thing. The second thing, the multitude of small obediences, is is I've just been really struck in this time about the fact that God wants us to learn to say yes. Um, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about my journey in this in one particular area of my life, which hopefully will just be like an example for you. Um, and it's about following those promptings of the Holy Spirit, um, irrespective of what we think in the natural. And I, I, looking back on this, I've realised that I think often the Holy Spirit will drop something into me, but I'll write it off as just being me or something else. And it's very easy for us to do that, isn't it? But we're, we're needing to quicken our ear to hear what the Spirit is saying and not respond out of what we feel in the natural that that, that might, that might um, be about. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what is affectionately known amongst those of us that do it as WOPS, which stands for Worship on the Streets. So any of you who are part of Faith Life will know that a group of us have over the past few years been going out on the streets to worship Jesus. And the reason we do that, is, to, in my perspective, is threefold. One is because in heaven, you know, there's that prayer that we often sing through songs, like, God, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And I feel like for me, one of the big things is that in heaven, only God who sits on the throne and the Lamb are worshipped. That's the only worship you hear in heaven. And yet in our earth, in our culture, we hear worship of all sorts of things. So for me, one of the big things about going out to worship in public on the streets is about making that your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to praise the one who is worthy of that praise. It's also about a way of sharing our faith. It's a way for me to declare, hey, there is, a Je there is Jesus who has come to save us. And it's good news and it's, a, it's an avenue for us to preach the gospel. And then the third thing is that I believe very strongly that as we worship, it changes the atmosphere. We live in this wonderful city, and I want this city to be impacted by the kingdom of God. So I believe that worship will help change that atmosphere. So that's just a little bit of background about why we do it, or for me anyway, why we do that. Um, but obviously in lockdown, we couldn't do that. And one morning, um, Roger had also been doing some Facebook Live stuff with another group of people that he was worshipping with. And he'd ordered a microphone. And one Saturday morning, he and I were just worshipping God together when that microphone arrived. And sort of half, I could half tell what he was doing, but I wasn't really aware that he was completely doing this. But he plugged it all in and started to stream our worship, um, which had I known that was what he was doing, I probably would have had a freak out. So probably just as well that I didn't know. But anyway, when it finished, I felt very challenged by God. It was like, well, I could just leave that on Roger's Facebook page, or do I share it onto mine? And I had a bit of a grapple with God about this, but in the end I thought, no, I need to share that. I need to be confident that this is what we need to do. So I shared it on my Facebook page, and you might think, well, that's hugely significant, or everybody having a big issue about it. But for me, it was a big thing. 
But I woke up, you know how like sometimes the spirit drops something to you when you're half asleep in that time when you're half asleep? And I woke up um, and felt Psalm 135 um, was on it, which Psalm 135 says, Praise the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. And it goes on. And I felt really encouraged by God that this was the right thing. And I don't know if you remember, some of you may remember that a while back I did a preach on praise and lots of the different meanings of praise. But this particular praise in this psalm is the word halal. And listen to this. I just thought God, God is great and has such a great sense of humour. So what does this halal mean? It means to shine or to flash forth light. Yeah, that's great, God. That's what I want to do. As I worship you, I want to shine the light that people will see Jesus. It means to praise and be boastful. And yes, God, that's great. I want to boast in Christ Jesus, my Lord. I can see this. This is great. And then it says praise, um, to be worthy of praise, to be commended. And my heart is, yes, God, that's why I want to do this, because you are the only one worthy of praise. You are the one I want to commend. But then listen to the other two meanings of this to make a fool of and to act madly. And I do have to chuckle because in the natural, I feel like I'm making a fool of myself. In the natural, I feel like I'm acting madly. And yet, in the spirit, I sense there is something powerful about what we're needing to do. My yes, when combined with my faith that God will use it, means that God will be able to do something beyond what is there in the natural. As you well know, my voice, Bob's musicianship, my musicianship, they're not the best. You know, I'm not a, we're not performers but we are worshippers. And one of the things that God has struck, has struck me as I've done this is about really having a heart of pure worship as we do this. And as we do that, there's something that God can add to it that is so much greater than all of those other things. So I'm just going to, in, in a few more minutes, just tell you a few of the encouragements that God has given me as I have said yes, and as I've combined my faith to believe that if God says this and I do it, then I can trust that. He will water the seeds. He will bring some, some fruit from it. So part of it has been, I've been able to say thank you. You know, I've, we've been doing this since, as I said, April, every Saturday. And I can testify that God has been so faithful. And I just, I, one of the weeks I wrote, God, thank you. Thank you that as we seek you, you always come good. That the Holy Spirit is always our guide, always our conductor always the one that shows us what to do. And because of that, I can have a confidence and a faith that just as on the physical street, so on the Facebook page, people will pass by. Some people will just pass by and ignore it. But something of the Spirit of God may have got into their hearts and their spirits that they weren't expecting. Some people will stop and linger for a while and listen. And God, I, we can pray that God will use that and move in their hearts to bring them to know something more of Jesus. And some Christians will be encouraged by what we do, and we have had people say that. Um, so my first thing about it is to say thank you that God is so faithful with it. My uh, next thing that I, God has been speaking to me about is about moulding Roger and I together as a gold bar. Somebody years ago had a picture of us being moulded together as a gold bar, and that probably uh, right back in the house of our marriage, and we are very different. Uh, we'd be known as back then, probably it was more, more apparent than it is now. But one of the things about worshiping together is that God has to mold you together as one. And so that's been brilliant to see, see happening as well. I've learned that I can't judge in the natural. <laughs> and that's a hard one for us to do, isn't it? Because we do, we judge things in the natural. But God says, don't judge it in the spiritual realm. Don't look at what happens in the natural. I could look at that complete clangor where I completely forgot what chords I was playing in the song or completely couldn't pitch it. But God says, don't look at that. Don't even look at the comments that are on the Facebook page. Look at me and what I'm saying to you and look at what, 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 what is happening and trust that the 
seeds that are sown, God will water and make to grow. I've learned that it's different every time. And this is the thing that I think has probably been the most amazing thing to me. That some weeks in my heart preparation, I get nothing. <laughs> or one song, two songs. Or maybe I think I've got the first song, but then I've got nothing. Or maybe I think we need to get to this point and do this song, but I don't know where we're going to start. And believe me, some weeks Roger has been starting reading the psalm, and it's only at that point that the Holy Spirit drops in me what the song is. But every week, no matter whether it's like that, or whether, like on another occasion where the Holy Spirit downloaded me a whole song set for the whole hour, whatever it is, I've learned that I can trust the Holy Spirit, that he never lets me down, that if I step out in obedience, if my heart has been prepared and I've sought him and I've waited and I've listened, then I know that when I need something, he will give it to me. And I'm learning to trust him. It's risky. I'd far rather, believe me, my nature is to far rather have everything mapped out. But I'm learning that actually, isn't it exciting, although risky, to trust that the Spirit of God will give us what we need. And I'm looking that this that I'm learning through this walks time will be extended into other areas of my life. And I can trust the Spirit to lead me and give me what I need at those times. And you know, there was one, um, one of the weeks where I just thought on a Saturday night, well, maybe we've finished now. Maybe we don't need to do this anymore. And we went to bed, and I woke up in the morning, and the Spirit said, read Psalm 95. And Psalm 95 starts by saying, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. And God gave me the whole song set, and I just knew that he was saying, keep going, this is the right thing. This is your yes, and I need you to be doing this. And I was also encouraged that he said, trust, that what seems small and insignificant to me, if it's done in obedience, and if it's done in faith, then we can be sure that he will fill it with his glory and with his splendour. And there was a verse which is completely out of context, but the Holy Spirit really encouraged me in this. And it's in Haggai, I was reading in Haggai at the time. And if you remember in Haggai, the people were rebuilding the temple. That was their yes to God, they were rebuilding the temple. And it says, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Is not this in your sight as nothing in comparison to it? And sometimes I can feel like what I'm doing, what my skill level is, is nothing in comparison to what other people can do. And yet this was the encouragement that God gives. Yet now, be strong, alert, and courageous, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. My spirit stands and abides in the midst of you. Fear not, for yet a little while, and I will fill this house with splendour. I want to encourage you today that you may feel that you've got some yeses to say to God. They may seem little things, they may seem insignificant things. But if you do them in response to, to what God is asking of you, and if you do them from that place of faith and trust that what you give, God will fill with his glory and with his anointing and with his spirit, then what will come will be that he will fill what we do with his glory and his splendor. And it will be to his honor and to his praise. I'm learning to trust and I'm learning to hear and follow his promptings. Um, I'm learning that I don't have to have it all before I start, but I can trust him because he is totally faithful. So as I wind up, I just want to just clarify what I think God is saying to us at this time. It's time for realignment. It's time for us to deepen our relationship with God and step out in a multiple, a multitude sorry, of small obediences. Because when we do that, the kingdom of God will be extended through each one of us listening to the Spirit and saying yes and obeying in faith and trust that he is in it and he has worked through it no matter how small or insignificant and i'm just going to read one last thing so roger had a picture 
earlier we knocked on about little braziers around houses, like little fires burning. And I just think that there's something that's going on in the spirit realm about what God is wanting to do. And early on I was feeling about um, what God was doing. And we know that God's been talking about taking wars there, about reaching out for salvation. And there was a lot, four lines in the song that says, I feel the tides are turning, I feel the wars are falling down. I feel the darkness shaking, we're calling up salvation now. And God spoke this to me and said, and, and this is what I said, Lord, I believe that it is still your heart for this season that where the enemy has sought to restrict movement, isolate people, your gospel will be preached through words and actions with increased power and measure as each believer across the globe rises up in the power and anointing you have given us so that each household where there is a believer will be a beacon of hope, light in the darkness, fortress in the storm. So I'm just going to pray and I invite you just to make your response to what God is saying. Are you willing to align your life with what the Spirit is saying right now to you? If so, that's going to need you to take some time in his presence and ask him where you need to make those realignments. And are you willing to say yes and to be part of this army of people that will do a multitude of obediences that see the kingdom of God extended? So Father, I just pray for each one of us that we would hear what your Spirit is saying to your church in this day. Thank you that you say that your sheep hear your voice and they know you. Thank you for the confidence that we can have that as we grow and learn to listen to your spirit, that he will speak and it can come easy. Lord, we want to say we commit ourselves to be consecrated before you, for your service. Lord, we want to be ready to do those acts of service, those things that you're asking of us to do. Lord, in our hearts there's a yes to whatever you ask. And we thank you that when we do that, with faith, your anointing and your glory will be seen in all of those things that we do. Thank you for listening. So I'm going to pass you over to Roger now, who is going to um, share his thoughts. Yes. Yes, so Father, we just pray for Roger right now. Thank you for your word, which you put in his mouth. Lord, thank you that your word is sharp to divide and that your word breaks stones and crushes things. And Lord, I just pray that he will be at peace with no fear and that your word would come forth from him like an arrow and will hit the target that it needs to hit. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Olive. I have to say, in doing the what's, What's I used to call it? What's on the close, but it's got my, my uh, you know, told me off because I've given away my address. But hey, there we go. Um, Olive's much more um, secure and strong in that than I am. I see people's names come up on Facebook and I wobble because oh, oh no, so and so's on there. And what am I singing like and all that kind of thing. So, so she keeps us going. And uh, yesterday we had the internet go down. And we had to change uh, from one server to another, and it was a bit shaky. And she kept us going until we could get back into it, which was. Which is good. It's been. It has been really encouraging to see people. People that I was at school with. So that's you know in the in the seventies. You know, so that's a long time ago. Before some of you were born. I don't wish to know. Don't put comments on there about how how many years that was before you were born. But people I've known a lot for a long time ago um, popping up, and they may only get a minute. But I just pray that what they get would bless them and would would help them. Okay, so. Um, as I always said, we couldn't get a seamless sermon 
um, like others have done, but um, hopefully there's, there's similarities in, in what we're saying. But um, we came up, I came up with this title about true greatness, and uh, Mark put that little Superman thing on there for me, which is great. I may not talk about that, but that's kind of the heart of what I'm saying, so you'll have to um, adapt it and make it, uh, make it work for you to that title. But when I, was a, when I was a very young man, so this was back in the 80s, probably before I was married, um, I had the privilege of going um, to a couple of years at, at, at Bible College, Leadership Training College, and I met some of the, the guys, learned from some of the guys who I was seeing on platforms and hearing about, and that was uh, quite a formative time. Uh, met various people, and that was great. But there was one incident which, I don't know, I look back and I think, well, that wasn't very good from, from my point of view. I had the opportunity and privilege of meeting a man not, that wasn't from the stream I was in, so he was a, a visitor, he'd come to do a special meeting um, at the church where I was going. He's a quite significant man, you would know him if I said who he was, but I'm not going to. Uh, but in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, he was quite significant in his writing, in his preaching and teaching, and his influence on some of the leaders that, uh, that, that, that were leaders for us. But um, he came out to tea. Um, at the house where I was staying, and then we went on to a meeting, and I wasn't impressed, actually. I was very underwhelmed by this guy. Um, he didn't seem to have the pizzazz and the wow and the woo that I would have wanted from, from a man of God. He, he seemed to be more humble and gentle and uh, self-effacing and all those kind of things. And I didn't really receive anything from his preacher even because I, somehow I didn't get him. I was expecting something and I didn't get it. And really, it was it was on me. It wasn't the guy's fault. The guy was a was a very significant man, and that was part of it. The problem was me as a young man. I misunderstood what great men of God should look like. Um, and uh, hopefully, I've changed. Hopefully, I'll be in this situation. But I still find myself having to repent sometimes of of judging people by what they seem as opposed to seeing who they are in the spirit, and, and all of us want to start seeing people in the spirit, don't we? Paul said that he's resolved to know man, n not know others apart from in Christ, is, is what he said, something like that. Anyway. But he said he wants to see them as a new creation that they are, and that's, that's what I pray for myself. But as I say, I understood what greatness was about, and I'm in good company because the disciples were the same. The disciples misunderstood true greatness, and Jesus had to realign them, um, not once, they, it was a few times, and we'll go into that in, in a moment, but the disciples had to be realigned, which is what Oliver was talking about, in their understanding of what God was looking for, what Jesus was looking for, in true greatness. And I will tell you later on what true greatness is, but for the moment I want to start by looking at another young man who misunderstood what, what greatness was. And this is someone I have preached on recently at Faith Life, so if you're kind of thinking, well, he's only spoken about that, it was actually in September, so it was a while ago. So if you want to make a cup of tea while I'm just doing this first bit, that's fine. Uh, if you want to listen to it, that's great, because you may have forgotten. I know what I say is so significant, and you take it so to heart that you remember every word that I say, but you may have forgotten that I mentioned this anyway. So there we go. But I'm talking about Joseph. Uh, Joseph, a young man of 17 who had dreams Dreams of grandeur, maybe, but dreams certainly of his family coming and, and bowing down. Um, and as you can imagine, 
as well as the fact that um, his father loved him more than his brothers because he was born of a certain uh, wife of his, um, the brothers hated him because of his dreams. Uh, he misinterpreted. He thought the dreams that he got were just about people bowing down to him um, and didn't see that really there was something more significant. And we'll go into that in a moment. But as I said, the brothers got really annoyed, really angry. They wanted to kill him. But fortunately for the Bible story and fortunately for him, they didn't kill him. But he was sold to some Ishmaelite tra traders and he was sold to uh, Potiphar, who was uh, a man who was captain of the guard, who uh, took him into his service. And the story goes on, and I don't want to go through the whole of it, but I want to just touch on bits. Because um, it talks about the favour of God being upon him. God gave him favour in the eyes of Potiphar. And everything he did uh, was good. Everything he did succeeded. Such that Potiphar made him, in, in charge if you like, made him head of the whole house. Uh, everything that was done was in Joseph's charge, apart from, it says that Potiphar just worried about what was on his plate, you know, what he ate, oh it's donuts today, I'm not sure I wanted donuts, but there we go. That's all he had to think about, because Joseph looked after the whole rest of it. He was faithful to his master, he served, God was with him. And even though he was a slave, um, I think sometimes when we read these stories we forget that he was there against his will. He didn't want to be there. He probably didn't want to serve this man and his household, but that's what he did. He served faithfully such that Potiphar was able to leave everything in his care. But unfortunately, you know the story, Potiphar's wife, Mrs. Potiphar, uh, took a fancy to him and wanted to sleep with him, uh, which uh, was a bit of a problem for him because he was a, a, a godly young man. He knew that that was wrong. Um, and I just want to read out what he said because I think it just shows us the respect he was held in the house. It says, Because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So we just see the regard he was held in by his master, but he also knew that, he, that Mrs. Potiphar was kept for him because that was wrong, that was not right for him to have his master's wife, and so he said no. And Mrs. Potiphar persisted and kept going on to him, and one, at one moment she was able to get him in the house alone, and he had to flee naked or without his garment, whichever you want to say. Uh, and he was falsely accused of trying to rape her, and he was put into prison. Um, just when things started, seemed to be going well, he was just, you know, he was second in command to Potiphar, things were going well, God's favour was upon him. Uh, this thing happened, he was put into prison. But the favour of God didn't stop there. God's favour was upon him still, and if you read on in the story, um, God gave him favour in the eyes of the keeper of the prison, or the KOP, as I like to call him, and um, the keeper of the prison put him in charge of everything that went on there. Um, he, the keeper of the prison didn't have to worry about anything that happened because Joseph was faithful, Joseph served, Joseph administrated, and Joseph did what was expected of him. It struck me as I was preparing, I wonder how many of our bosses at work can say that they never look at the things they gave us to do because they know we would do them faithfully, that we know they would do them properly. I hope that's the case uh, for all of us, but um, it's a challenge, isn't it, that we do our work. We're not slaves. But Joseph was a slave. Joseph had to be there. 
And it's a bit cheesy, but I was thinking about lockdown. We're all in lockdown. Obviously, don't talk about lockdown. Everyone talks about lockdown, but there, I've gone and done it. But lockdown, Joseph was in the ultimate lockdown. He was there a long time, and he couldn't choose the people he was alongside, but he knew that he needed to serve them. So he served them, he looked out for their interests. And then, after a little while, um, these little phrases keep happening in the story of Joseph. After a little while, this happened for a while, whatever. There were some political prisoners came in. The uh, cup bearer and the baker were put into prison. They defended Pharaoh, they were put into prison. And Joseph was to look after them. And this happened for some time, he looked after them. And it wasn't just, here's your, here's your sandwich, here's your silly old so-and-so, here's your thing. It, there was a, there was, had a, he had a good attitude, a good attitude of care. We know that because one, on one night, these guys both had a dream. And it was both kind of, they were both a bit, uh, oh, what's going on here? They were both a bit concerned by these dreams. And Joseph, coming into them the next morning, could see there was something not right. And he was saying, what, what's concerning you? What's, what's on your mind? Why are you, why are you looking so uh, discom discombobulated, I suppose, is the word we could use. There was a concern about him. He was interested in the people, not just doing the job, because he had to. There was a concern. He was serving them. He was putting their interests above his own. Um, so anyway, they say, we've had these dreams. Uh, and Joseph is able to say, well, don't interpretations belong to God? He interprets the dreams. One of them gets promoted. One of them gets decapitated. And the last thing that Joseph says to the guy, the, the cupbearer, is, when you get out, remember me. Because I've been, I shouldn't be in here. I've been put in here by mistake. I shouldn't be here. I've come from far away. Remember me when you get out. And the Bible says he didn't remember him. He forgot him for two whole years. You know, I think that's a bit like trying to come out of lockdown, isn't it? And we, we try and get ourselves out. But sometimes we have to wait for God's, God to move and God to do things. That's a, perhaps a silly example. But, you know, sometimes in our lives we think, oh, it's time for me to move into this and we try and make it happen ourselves. But sometimes it just needs a two-year wait or whatever it is because God's timing is perfect. And for Joseph, <clears throat> he needed another two years in the prison. And it was actually 13 years that he was in that prison from the age of 17 Sorry, not in the prison. From 17 to 30, he was with Potiphar, a slave. He was um, in the prison, a prisoner. His life seemed to have gone, you know, started out good. His father uh, looked after him, gave him a nice robe. He was a slave. He was into prison, rock bottom. But all that time, God was with him and showed him loving kindness. For me, the loving kindness of God will be, get me out of here, Lord. But God didn't get him out of here at that time. He was learning. He was being trained in effect. Um, and so what happened was that eventually Pharaoh had some dreams, uh, two dreams. He was again discombobulated and the cupbearer eventually remembered him and said, oh, I remember there's this young guy in prison. He interprets dreams. And Joseph was able to come out and say, well, it's the it's, interpretation belongs to God. It's not mine, but I can interpret it. And he interprets the dreams, telling what's going to happen in Egypt. And he tells him, this is what you're going to have to do. This is the plan that you're going to have to uh, administer. And you need someone with wisdom and discernment and to, to run it for you. And Pharaoh looks at him and thinks, well, there's no one like you upon whom there's such wisdom and discernment. So Joseph was made the man to do the job. So it says he became second in command to Pharaoh in Egypt. And only in relation to the throne 
was better to have more say. But what's really struck me, and this is what I've always said really, is coming into, if you like, the fulfillment of what God had for him in Egypt was no different really. He was not doing anything different. He was doing it on a different level, but in Potiphar's house, he was administrating the house. He was looking after things, making things happen. In the prison, he was doing the same. And in Egypt, he was doing the same. He learned the skills. He learned how to serve. He learned the right attitudes, right from uh, Potiphar's house to prison to Egypt. Um, and uh, I think that's important for us to, 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 to remember. You know, in my notes I've written, it took 13 years for him to achieve true greatness. Or did it? Was the true greatness what happened to him in Egypt? Or did it start some other time? And I would say that actually it started some other time. It started when he started to serve. It took on different levels and he had more responsibility. But as, as his serving brought more responsibility and more levels, he still needed to serve. Um, I want to, to move on from Joseph and look at two other young men who um, misunderstood what greatness was about, true greatness, and this is in Mark uh, 10 and verse 35 uh, to 45. I'm not going to read all of this. Um, I've got little stickers in my Bible. I still can't find it, which is uh, not very good. This is about James and John. James and John, they were the disciples. Now, the disciples, uh, they seem to have a thing about wanting to know which of them was the greatest and being the greatest. Um, in Mark 9, it talks about uh, they were having an argument on the road, wherever they were going, and Jesus was kind of maybe a little bit ahead or a little bit behind or somewhere, but he wasn't quite with them, and they were having this argument, who's the greatest? And when they got there, Jesus said to them, what were you talking about? What were you arguing about on the road? And they were a bit kind of, they kind of knew. They knew that wasn't a good uh, argument to be having. But um, Jesus said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last. Last of all, sorry, and the servant of all. So he's told them quite clearly that if they want to be great, they need to serve. But like the rest of us, um, they kind of forgot. And, or maybe they didn't forget, but they tried a different approach. James and John decided that they would like to be pretty important in the kingdom of heaven when the glory of God came, or whatever it was going to be. They weren't quite sure, but they knew that Jesus was coming into his glory, and they wanted to be important. So they sidled up to him and said, Jesus, we wanted you to do something for us. And he said, oh yeah, what's, what's that then? They said, when you come into your glory, uh, can I, James, I want to sit, oh, I'm not sure which way around it was, but I want to sit in your right hand, and he wants to sit on your left hand. Is that, you know, that's fair enough, Jesus, you know, you can do that for us. And Jesus said, hmm, you ask a difficult thing. He said, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Or can you be baptised with the baptism that I'm going to be baptised with? That's quite hard to say, actually. Baptism, which I'm going to be baptised with. Uh, and, they, and they thought, oh, it sounds like, it sounds like we're in. So uh, they said, we can. Yeah, we can. And he said, when you will. You will drink from the cup, and you will be baptised with the baptism that I will be baptised with. But, sitting on my right or left, it's not mine to give. Um, it's for those people whom it's been prepared. So, they kind of, in my mind, they got the worst of both worlds. They didn't get to sit on the right and left, but they did get the, the, drink, the baptism, drink the cup and have the baptism. So, kind of, I don't know, 
And anyway, the rest of the disciples were really pleased about this, as you can imagine. They were really annoyed with James and John, and they got angry. And so Jesus had to have a little chat with them. And he said, um, from 41, I'm going to read from verse 41. It says, And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. i read that again. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is saying to him, if you want to be great. Actually, it's interesting. He doesn't say, you naughty boy. It's fancy wanting to be great. He doesn't say you don't want to be great. He just says, if you want to be great, that's fine. But this is greatness in the kingdom. It's serving. And uh, one of the things that's always well, struck me recently is that it's not serving to be great. It's not like, this is the journey you go on, serving, and then greatness. But actually, serving is greatness. Greatness in the kingdom is serving. It's the journey. We, 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 we're all about the destination, aren't we? But God's more interested in the journey. And the journey is serving, and the destination is serving. Like, for instance, Joseph. Joseph served in Potiphar's house. He served in the prison. He served. Okay, he had more position and power, and people looked up to him by that. So we might think, whoa, he's really successful now. But God said that he made him a successful man in Potiphar's house when he was uh, serving there and, and doing it there. So it's a challenge, isn't it? God wants us to be those who serve. He wants us to, to recognize that true greatness is serving, and we're never going to get beyond serving. No matter what position, what power, what glory we get, we always will be operating them through serving. And actually, if we never get power, position, authority, we've still been great in the eyes of the kingdom because we've served. We've put other people's interests before our own. And that's really what, what serving is. Serving is, is attending to others. It's putting their interests first. It's expressing love to them. And we're all in different spheres. We're, we live in different houses, with different families, we in different spheres. God wants us to serve the people that we're with. You know, it's no good saying, well, if I had the same people around me as Olive has when she's at work, I would easily serve, because she's got it easy there. They're nice people, I could serve them. But the people I have to be around, I couldn't. You know, Joseph couldn't choose who he had to serve. He was a slave. He was a prisoner. And he might not have liked those people, but he still had to serve. And the same with us, we might not like the people around us. Hopefully we do if they're our family and stuff, or our wives, and you know, we've chosen well and all that rest of it. But we, we need to learn to serve. Uh, Jesus said, love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you. So we need to serve. So we're called to serve the people around us. And I just want to think about this a little bit as I see the time flicking along. I want to turn us to John 13. And this is, again, it's a very familiar story. Um, in the life of Jesus. 
and it's just, I'm going to see if I can turn my notes to the right place. Yeah, just picking up things. So, so verse 1, it says, um, at, at the end there, or I'll read the whole verse actually. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Or he showed them the fullness of his love. And then in three, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper and took his robe and, and began to, sorry, not took his robe, took the towel and began to wash the disciples' feet. Uh, you know, I, I like to imagine that the disciples had been out and about in, in Palestine or wherever they were. You know, their feet were dusty, dirty, covered in camel dung and all these kind of, they weren't very pleasant, it wasn't a very pleasant job, it was a servant's job. But the trouble was, there was no servant there when the disciples came with Jesus. There was no servant apart from the one who was God, who took on the very nature of a servant and chose to serve. Jesus served these men, he showed them the full extent of his love by serving them. And then when, uh, you know, there's more significance to it that, than that which I won't go into here. And there's a little contretemps with Peter who didn't want to be washed, then he wanted to be totally washed, and then Jesus said, just your feet will do, thank you. Um, so there's all that kind of thing going on. Um, but then in, in 12b, Jesus said, um, 12b, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then... Your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Jesus gave an example. He washed their feet. Not that we necessarily should uh, go around washing people's feet, although I have seen that done, and I've, I've done it myself in an assembly and found it quite powerful. Um, and I half thought about washing Mark and Cheryl's feet, but it's, you know, socially distancing and praying for his back seems that much more important. Um, so, what I, what I wanted to say is really that true greatness, which is what my title was really, is all about serving. If we want to be great in the kingdom, we need to learn to serve. We need to serve, as Oliver was saying. It's not just, oh yeah, I know. I know to serve, yeah, but are you doing it? So are you serving the people around you? Are you looking out for their interests? Are you putting them first? Um, but there's, there's just uh, one thing, that, one final thought, as, as Mark would say, that I want to just, just explore, and that's in John 15. Because this is something that's struck me recently, and I think just adds, um, I'm going to read, I've got a little time, so I'm going to read, quite a lot actually, from verse 9, 15, 9. It says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So the things that Jesus has been talking about and talking about are to give us a fullness of joy. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. 
You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Interesting, that kind of seems to go against all I've said. But Jesus said, I don't call you servants anymore, but I call you friends. And, yeah, what struck me is that, um, not to, to knock a certain film, but that Jesus didn't want minions. He didn't just want little yellow things. No, he didn't want people who would just do what he did blindly. He was, um, he was wanting them to be friends. He called them as, as friends because they would know what his master was doing. But the whole point is this, that as friends of Jesus, we serve one another. It's not that we're minions. It's not that we have to. It's not that we kind of, uh, you know, ought to, all the rest of it. But we choose to. One of the things about the servants is someone who, who willingly lays down. We're called to willingly lay down as friends of God. And in the beginning of that uh, 13, where it says that Jesus uh, knew all the authority had been given to him, he knew where he came from and where he was going. You know, the whole thing about he was secure in who he was, he was able to serve. We too can be the same, because actually when you think about it, we know that all authority has been given to Jesus, that's what he said in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me, so therefore go. So we have all authority in the name of Jesus. We know where we've come from. We're born again, not of imperishable seed, but sorry, not of perishable seed, but imperishable seed. We're born by a Father's will. Yes, yeah? so we, we are we've come from God and we're gonna be with him in the future, when he comes again, when uh, we go to be with him. We're going to be with him. So we have the same understanding that Jesus had, in that sense, that we, we have authority, we know where we've come from, we know where we're going, we're friends of God, therefore we lay down our lives to serve the people around us, the people who we, we love. Because that's what uh, we've been asked to do. And it did strike me that you might say, well, I don't really want to be great in the kingdom. I'm happy enough just going to heaven. Thank you very much. But it also struck me that, you know, in some of the parables, Jesus said, or it was said to the servant, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. I personally want to hear that from Jesus. Well done, Roger. You did what I asked you. You served. You were faithful. You were faithful in the little things. You were faithful in the big things. But you were good and faithful. That's what I want to hear. And that's what I will hear if I serve those around me, put their interests first, and be a blessing. You are free to choose what you'd like to do. But I exhort you, be a servant. Be great in the kingdom. Be one of those that uh, Jesus can trust that's almost like the jailer when he gives you a job to do. He knows that you'll do it. Okay, he's going to help you do it, but he knows you'll do it. And he's not just all the time thinking, oh, is he, is he going to do it? Will she even turn up for work? Will he even be there? Will he be in a fit state? Um, but that we're good and faithful servants. So, my exhortation to us is to be servants, to be those who lay down our lives for those around us, to be those who put other people's interests first. I didn't go to Philippians 
2, which is where I always go. I did make allusion to it. It was about Jesus taking on the form of a servant. But that's what, again, we're asked to do. Put other people's interests first. See them as more important than ourselves and live for them. And if we're doing that, others will do it for us. And so the whole thing works as a, as a community, doesn't it? So the other thing that struck me, sorry, I said I was going to say more, one more thing, but this is another thing I'm going to say. Um, just as Olive exhorted us to stir, or she didn't exhort us to, but she was talking about stirring up, the, stirring up the prophetic, what really struck me again was that Joseph learned to serve, and he learned the right attitudes, he, he learned the skills, but it was the supernatural that was the key to releasing him, really. It was interpreting the dreams for the bearer and for the uh, baker, and it was being able to interpret the dream for Pharaoh, that enabled the whole thing to come together, so that meant that the uh, administration was set up correctly in Egypt and, jo and Joseph could be part of that. I would say we need to learn to serve, but let's be open, let's stir up the prophetic in our lives. And let's learn like jo Joseph. Joseph used what God gave him to serve others. He didn't take it on board for himself. Um, Let's, let's be open to God using us, giving us gifts. Let's stir up the prophetic. It says that we're to do it. It doesn't say, uh, I hear people praying, Lord, stir me up. But God says, you stir yourself up. Stir yourself up. Uh, reach out for pr prophecy and for these other things. To bless others. God will give us these things if we use them to bless others. So let me just pray for you. Father, I thank you that you've asked us to be servants. You've asked us to serve those around us, to take the example of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you teach us to serve those around us. You teach us to be those who would use all our gifts and abilities and would seek you for more, seek you for the prophetic, to serve those around us. In Jesus' name. Amen. And as I've talked about Jesus, um, calling us to be friends, I just wonder whether that's something that you found. Uh, you might be, uh, be watching this and not know Jesus as your friend or that you're called a friend by Jesus. That um, one of the amazing things is that the God who made the universe sent his son Jesus so that we could be his friends. He wanted a relationship with us and that relationship is available to you right now, this morning. So, if there's something that you would um, that you would like, something you feel that God's propelling you into, the Bible says we need to turn away from our current way of thinking, our current way of life, that's going away from God, and then we need to turn back to Him to seek His forgiveness and to, to make Him Lord of our lives. If that's what you want, I'm going to pray now. I ask you to pray with me. And um, really ask Jesus to come and be Lord, to make you his friend, to turn your life around so that instead of going your way, you start to go his way and start to find the success that uh, was seen in the life of Joseph, that as you begin to serve others and as you begin to trust God, you'll find his favour and you'll find that he will uh, do amazing things in your lives. So I'm going to pray, I ask you to uh, repeat this prayer after me, and um, yeah. So, Jesus, 
I'm sorry for the way that I am living. The things I have done, I want to change today and receive your forgiveness, love and new life. I choose to turn away from my old life to make you Lord and to receive your new life. I believe that you are God and that you died to save me and I receive that right now. Amen. If I've gone a little bit too quickly there for you, you can rewind that bit and just go through it again, go through it a few times, but that's the kind of thing you can say to the God of the universe who sent his son that we can be his friends. If you've prayed that prayer or wanting to pray that prayer, please get in touch with Faith Life through the uh, Facebook or through the uh, email address, Faith Life, office at faithlife.org. Uh, um, leave a message on Facebook or send us a message on Facebook. Uh, we'd love to hear from you or any testimonies. Uh, we're here to serve you. If we could help you in any way, please get in touch. But I trust Faith Life that you'll have a good week this week, that the blessing of God will be upon you and your family, that as you serve those around you, that there'll be a change in your life, a change in the life of your family. And just at the end, I just, I just speak blessing on you. I speak blessing on those prodigal sons that are far from you, that we'll see a return to Jesus of some of our children who have wandered far away. In Jesus' name, be blessed. Amen.